and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Join the big show at the Davis Vision Annual Block Party Friday, June 4th. Food trucks, Utah Jazz gear, 30% off on all sunglasses, and one lucky person will win a free LASIK procedure. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Shane Young, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. He covers the Clippers closely. Shane, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? We're doing well. We are better than the Clippers were, but probably not as good as they are, if that makes any sense to you, and I suspect it does. Oh, it definitely does, because I got to tell you, in my eight years covering the NBA, there has not been a moment where, in one game, in one particular game, game three of the Clippers-Mavericks in Dallas, with 17,000 fans screaming and going crazy, um, and the Clippers were down 30-11. to there's not been one time where I have ever shifted so quickly on, hey, this team is about to get swept. My season of covering this team is over. It was it was a fun ride. Uh, see you next year. To now, oh, well, they're going to win the series. It has shifted so quickly, and I really don't know how that's possible. So in game four, I really thought Paul George was the best player out on the court, which is saying something when you got a finals MVP and a first-team All-NBA guy on there. But he really has been playing well. Has he put to bed this playoff failure? Is it something that he has to prove over and over again? You would like to think that it's in the rear view, right? I mean, I, I always like to say that PG has been a fine playoff player. He's been a good playoff player when you consider his Indiana days. I mean, obviously he's had maybe three horrible years, three very below average years, um, coupled with the Oklahoma city as Utah fans should know, <laughs> should know definitely very well. Um, but I think PG has finally figured out, look, the jump shot for me is always going to be there because I'm six, nine, six, ten, and I can rise up over these guys. But so as long as I'm pushing downhill, attacking the rim, and really, I mean, just being fearless when it comes to drawing contact, because I think a lot of his issues in Oklahoma City, especially when he had those shoulder problems the final year there, he was shying away from contact, not really wanting to get to the line, kind of contorting his body and, and not finishing well. But now, I mean, it might have something to do with, with Chris Hatsporzingis and Maxi Kleba and, and the Mavericks having zero rim protection whatsoever. But the dude is shooting... 75% at the rim, and he's attacking over and over instead of settling for those mid-range pull-ups. Shane Young joining us, NBA analyst, columnist for Forbes Sports. I am really curious about that game three and what you think changed there because at 30-11, to 11, it's not so much that Twitter was annihilating the Clippers because, you know, that just kind of happens on Twitter, but there was a <laughs> shot of Balmer during the game, and he yeah. looked furious. He looked, I mean, he usually he looks like a fan and he's cheering. He's just going nuts. But in that moment, I saw the CEO that helped build this tiny company into this global Goliath and hard decisions had to be made and hard work had to be done. And he just looked like he was going to get up and just go and start cutting players, firing coaches, and then firing front office personnel. He looked furious. I don't know how many times I've seen an owner look that mad. That's how badly that game was going. So why did it change? Because Twitter's one thing, but the veins popping out of his forehead said something else. Yeah. Imagine like if you're in Balmer shoes, because, you know, I would like to say, I think that 
I think Balmer might be the most fervent, the most like uh, involved owner in the NBA. I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of young owners. Uh, obviously Ryan Smith is someone that is, you could see being that way because he's such a lifelong fan and diehard fan of the team. Right. I think Balmer, although he wasn't a fan of the team when he bought it, it's like, man, he's put so many resources, so much money and time and effort and commitment to this team. So obviously like he's going to be distraught if something like that happens. I think um, for me, the, the Clippers in game three, their game plan had to simplify guys. Like it just had to, it had to devolve down to, okay, they got to stop Luka Doncic. And also you have to worry about everyone else. But I think what Ty Lue realized was you're not going to be able to do both in the NBA. You often hear this term, like, or this phrase, you, you have to give up something. And I think that's what a lot of fans and the new age viewers don't really get about the NBA. They see they see all these high scoring games, 130, 140, and they and they think there's no defense being played. But in in reality, defense is smarter than it's ever been. It's just really really hard to, to execute now because of the space and the threes. So I think Ty Lue basically said, "Hey, we have to shut down the Tim Harley Jr., uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. We got to limit Porzingis." as much as we can, even though he's not going to really do damage in the post or anything like that. Um, and, and really live with what Luca does. Let, let, let Luca exhaust himself to the point where he's going to get his 35, 40. That's what he's going to average. Cause he's just one of the probably 10 or 15 most creative and, and intelligent players we've ever seen. And he's only 22, but you, you have to, you cannot let Doncic do that. And then Tim Harley Jr. break free for about six threes, like he's Clay Thompson, right? You have to choose something to give up, and they and they chose. They chose their path. It's give up Luca stuff, eliminate everyone else the best of your ability. And I think the second quarter of Game Three, or the the end of the first quarter of Game Three, ever since then, guys, they have outscored Dallas by fifty four points since that run. I mean, it's been it's been a it's been a slaughterhouse, to be honest with you, since that 30 to 11 lead. So you're a Louisville guy and you probably saw Donovan Mitchell play in college. What did you think as far as where he would be talent wise and ability wise in the NBA? Huh. Man, <laughs> I think I've told this story a couple of times. Uh, please forgive me if I've told it on this, but I had a class with Donovan um, my last year uh, at UofL and his, I, I guess it was a couple months before he entered the draft. And we were, it was a sports marketing class. I think it might just might've been an elective we both needed, but uh, he, we got up in front of, and we had to introduce ourselves and, and everything. And obviously everyone in the class knew who he was. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't a mystery, but someone asked him, do you, do you envision yourself being the NBA? And I, I believe the consensus, the consensus of the time was, Maybe we were not sure. We don't know. He's going to try, but it wasn't like, Oh, he's a for sure lottery pick or anything like that, or definitely going to be a top 20 pick. And then all of a sudden, I mean, within like a few months, he just bursts onto the scene and becomes this, this phenom for, for all of Louisville to get behind and rally behind because he's drafted so high and he's really impressed everyone in the workouts. I did not think he would be this. I thought, when he was drafted, I thought maybe a, a really, really good role player, but 
falling a little bit short of a, of a star player. Um, and it, it's just, it's been completely ridiculous because he's blown out expectations and you could argue, I'm not sure where you would put him in the player hierarchy, but I mean, he's definitely like top 20 range and, and, and he's all NBA caliber player. If he, if he didn't get hurt this year, I think he would have made all NBA 13 pretty comfortably. I mean, the dude was having the most efficient year of his career and, and has entered the playoffs after missing what a month of action, five weeks of action and is already doing crazy stuff again. So I guess long story short, I didn't see this. And I don't think even his, the most optimistic people saw this. You know who saw it is uh, the Jazz players in September because when he debuted, if you go back and look, he had like games where he was two for 17 shooting, multiple ones, and he just kept yeah. launching it. And they never, like they didn't flinch in games, they didn't flinch in post-game interviews, nothing. It was the weirdest thing to watch veterans accept that from a rookie. And, you know, there were veterans mm-hmm. on that team that had been in the, you know, they'd won a playoff series the year before. And asked Thabo Cephalosha about it midseason. He said, like, well, why did you do that? Because Donovan was getting rolling at that point. He's like, we saw it in September in the pickup games. The talent was obvious. We all knew. Nobody yeah. had to be told. It was, it was crazy how quickly it, it all changed. So I guess now the question is, what is the ceiling for him? How much better can he get? Because you yeah. say All-NBA third team, that makes you top 15 players in the league. That is rarefied air. But... To win a championship, you usually have to have one of the top three or four players in the league. And it's awesome to be the yeah. 13th best, but it's a long way from 13 to three <laughs> in the NBA. I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think uh, what a lot of a lot of people, whenever they, they're kind of projecting um, player improvement, they think it's going to be linear. Sometimes it's not linear. Like Donovan might linger around this level until he's 27 or so, and then he'll just, you know, I think it, it can just be random. He could really have one season where he just is the surefire MVP. I mean, we have no idea. I mean, did we even see Nikola Jokic being the MVP? How many people thought that was going to be a thing? So I think, I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, for me, it's hard, difficult slash impossible for me to see him into maybe that all NBA first team range where you're talking about like Steph Curry, Dame Willard. You have to figure there's a lot of really like dynamic guards in the league. And this is a guards league now, but as long as he's in there, I mean, as long as he is, you know, fighting, I guess with Jamal Murray for the best off the dribble shot maker in that next tier, then, uh, then that it's going to be a good career plane for him. Um, I, I definitely think like he has room to grow. Personally, my favorite trait of Donovan Mitchell is the confidence, just the brash confidence. I mean, he you could tell him that he's not going to do something and he'll go out and, and, and do it. I mean, you could tell him he's not going to jump this high and he'll jump two inches higher than that. I mean, it's, it's something that is definitely a sight to behold because I mean, there, there have been a lot of finishes at the rim just in this playoff series alone. I mean, in that last game in Memphis, I mean, finishes at the rim that you have never seen from like top five NBA players now. You can see the confidence, and you, it's fun to watch. and watch him develop. The thing that's surprising to me is normally these guys, they only play the one year in college, and he went the two. Uh, what did you know of him at that time that would indicate that he needed a second year? And with that, how important was that second year for him to have that in order for him to progress at the level that he has? 
I mean, I thought it was important just from the standpoint of getting more offensive reps. I thought he, in college at least, because it's a college is a lesser, it's a lesser quality of game, and it's a uh, a smaller person's game. It's not, you know, the, the bodies aren't as large. They're not as bulky. Defenders in the NBA are, as there are in the NBA, I should say. Um, I think he always had like the defensive mind for a college guard. I, I thought that was always there. The energy, the the motor. Um, his quickness, uh, getting around screens and stuff like that has been good, or it was good back in the day. So I thought just the offensive reps, if he didn't have that second year, it, I, I'm sure it would eventually come around after getting into an NBA training camp and, and, and working under assistant coaches and stuff. But, um, it, it's hard for me to see like the offensive load that he'd be doing now if he didn't have that second year. Shane Young joining us, NBA analyst, columnist for Forbes Sports. He covers the Clippers uh, closely. I'm curious how you evaluate the top teams in the NBA right now and who you yeah. think the favorite is to win it all. And, and mm-hmm. is that, are they still a long shot? You know, usually I think we can look at a favorite and say they got like a 70% chance of winning it all. Maybe the Warriors with Durant had a 95% chance yeah. of winning it all. How many teams have a shot right now and who's the favorite? I think if you had to put a number on the teams that have a have a chance, you'd go Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly have a chance. If Joel Embiid, right? I mean, if he's not right, you can. If he's not healthy, you can cross them out. So Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, Utah, Clippers, Suns. I think are the teams that have a chance to win it all. Um, I'm just gonna roll out the Lakers until we see Anthony Davis on the floor again. It, the Lakers have had the weirdest year in all of sports. I mean, it's just been. They have not had one solid stint of LeBron and AD for more than two weeks at a time. It's been kind of wild to see. The favorite for me in both conferences, Brooklyn, I've been banging this drum all year. I think people are kind of overthinking it a little bit if you try to come up with reasons or lift out reasons why they won't win. And the number one reason on that list, the number one bullet point is always their their defensive ability or their lack of defensive commitment. Um, they just kind of don't have the, they don't have the size or bodies to even try to be a good defensive team anyway. So my problem with that line of thinking is we all know in the half court, in the playoffs, that's when, that's when it, that's when your money's made. I mean, that's when Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving get to work. I cannot see any team West or East that's able to get, I don't know, a, a string of three or four consistent stops against them when the time comes, when it's a tie game, three or four minutes left. So I think Brooklyn should be the favorite, and I think they're going to win the title. The West is really difficult because I think the best two teams in the West are going to be playing in about uh, six days or so. I think the Clippers and, and the Jazz are going to be the best teams left standing in the West, and they're going to be playing in a couple of days and, and next week. And you have to give Utah the edge because of home court, because they have took care of business all year long. Uh, they're healthy, uh, relative. I get, yeah, they are healthy compared to, you know, Serge Ibaka is not even there. That's a big rotation piece that's been out for the Clippers. He's their backup big. Um, so I think the Jazz should be favored, but, you know, it, it doesn't turn into a series until the home team loses. So um, we'll see, or until the road team wins, I should say. So we'll see how that series plays out. Um, but yeah, Brooklyn, I think Brooklyn's just going to, uh, to be honest with you, I think they're going to coast to the title. Well, Shane, on that note, we will let you go. The Nets coast to the title <laughs> and jazz fan is slightly deflated. 
Hey, a finals appearance for Utah, first time since 98. That would be incredible, though. It would be. And it'd be a massive step forward, no doubt about that. Hey, Shane, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Shane Young, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports, covering the Clippers. DJ and PK, when we come back, everything you missed in this show. Game five tonight. What is going to happen? We will get to that. And uh, the best college, the best NBA career for a local college player. That's coming up too. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. The great Craig Bowler Jack joins us every Tuesday. You think this one ends in five, Bowler? I think the Jazz better get it done in five. I hate to see him go back to Memphis and then, by chance, have to decide it at home in game seven. Look, if Donovan holds true to his word, what he said in the bubble, never again. I believe that's the quote after losing in game seven with a 3-1 lead to Denver. And with the home crowd, I think the emotions are going to be sky high. So get it done in front of your home crowd. Get it done, have a couple of extra days, sit back, and then start the process again on your second round opponent. Do I have a crystal ball? No. But do I feel it? Yes. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Dame goes left, gives it up to Mello. Back to Dame with Austin Rivers on. Bounces off of Gordon again from way down. Tail banked it in! There's the NBA record! Damian Lillard with his 12-3 of the game. He's got 55. We got our ass kicked. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, they did, got to whatever they wanted to get to in this game. And, uh, you know, we got to be better, obviously, if we want to force a game seven. So, obviously, a lot to uh, learn from in this game, a lot to cover. See, uh, you know, what we got to do better going into game six. But, um, I mean, they, they pretty much just kicked our asses. I mean, there's nothing else really to say. Anthony Davis, uh, I told you, the Lakers can't win this this, this this series, forget about the championship. They can't win this series without uh, street clothes. <laughs> I'm not even... You want to explain that? I call him Anthony Street Clothes Davis because he's always in street clothes. <laughs> you ain't got to explain it, Chuck. Highlights from the NBA there. Anthony Davis is out, and the Lakers are down by 30 at halftime to the Suns. They get blown out. They're down three games to two, staring at elimination. Also in there, you heard the Damian Lillard show, 55 points, 10 assists. He scored Portland's last 17 points. His teammates closed by going one for 19 as a group. And the Nuggets win in overtime, 147 to 140. So that series now, Nuggets 3-2, which is what it was two years ago. The Nuggets were up 3-2 and couldn't seal the deal. And you like Lillard's chances to do it again. I don't like him any more than I dislike him. You feel like it's 50-50 who wins that series? Yes, that's my point. I'm not favoring either team, even though Denver is up 3-2. Seems seems like Denver should be favored up 3-2. I know. But in each, you tell me in game six, is Denver favored? Do you feel like Denver is a strong favorite to win game six? No, it feels 50 50. Then then we're there going into game seven. And game seven is going to be 50 52. Well, that means that I don't want to get into the math of all of that for you, but that means they have a 25% chance of winning. (laughs) I feel each game, it's a toss up. That's my point. And the Nuggets only have to win one of the toss ups. 
And they very well could do it. Yeah. So from that perspective, I see where they would be favored to win the series. But each individual game, I look at it as a toss-up. When you go double overtime, that by definition is there's an not much. Toss-up. Yeah, there's not much uh, difference between. And these they teams. lose double overtime when his teammates make one of twenty shots. Terrible. How many times CJ CJ McCollum alone? I trust more than that. Yes. And he did have a decent three uh, in, I think it was regulation. Late, late in the fourth quarter, like 13 seconds to yeah, go, right. to set up the next shot yes. by Lillard. If Without he doesn't that, make that you're one. you having that, right. Right. If he doesn't make that, then Lillard's shot isn't going to matter. Right. So if you look at it from that perspective, how many times is he going to do that? Is Nurkic going to foul it, although he's had trouble in this, because obviously Jokic yep. is a handful. This guy can do it all. He's. I don't know that I ever would see someone who can make more shots in an unorthodox manner than Nowitzki, and then overnight, practically, Nowitzki leaves and Jokic comes. Jokic tried a completely ridiculous shot. It was shot clock, though. It was shot clock. <laughs> Step back, turn around, fade away in the corner. Like, dude, if that goes in, yeah. I'm out of I here. think it was more he had to shoot. He it. had I don't to do think something. I'm, 20 seconds left, I don't think he's taking that shot. Or Coach Mikey might have got mad. Overlooked on all of this is that uh, the quintessential role player, Monty Morris, went off. Doubled his career high. His career high was 14. He went for 28. Well, then that's a good sign for Portland. He's not going to repeat that. <laughs> you wouldn't think, right? Uh, and I don't know that Porter could repeat it. He was 10 of 13 shooting uh, the ball. Maybe not to that level, but he's an emerging player. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jokic threw him a spectacular pass. Right over the top of the defense, dropped it right into the uh, the shooting pocket, and then Porter drained the three. That was big time, big time play. Uh, the Jazz tonight, widely expected to win in five. This is it. Wrap it up. Threw that question up, question of the day up on Facebook, and didn't see much negativity there. Jazz fans expecting victory. Oh, I'm out for the week if they don't win tonight. You're out for the week. Yeah. When did you Friday morning set up game six? You can't be out for the week. Well, that's how confident I am, though. Might need you Friday morning to set up game one on Sunday. Series could start Sunday, although if the Clippers-Mavericks series goes seven, then they'd be playing game seven on Sunday, yes. and that'd push the yes. Jazz back yes. probably until Tuesday. I'm expecting it to be 1.30 mon- Sunday. Yeah. Because if LeBron's out... The one thirty time slot opens up. Yeah. <laughs> the Lakers' time is available. And Steph Curry isn't there to take it. No, he's not. So what's the most attractive? The most attractive, then, is Clippers-Jazz, is it not? And to my mind, it is. I don't know what the Eastern game is that they'd even be competing with at that point. Um, as far as, you know, who else would be, would be playing there and what the other options well, would be. Well, it's the Nets. They're only going to put the Nets in there. I'm just saying I don't know that the Nets play that day. I understand that. But the only consideration looks like it would be it looks like it would be the uh, Wizards Sixers winner versus the Hawks Knicks winner or or a game seven. See, I can see a game seven getting a time slot over a game one. True. If if the Knicks could force a game seven, they would go in there. I don't know that they can. I would think that they can't. I think Atlanta's the better team, and we'll wrap it up in either five or six. Atlanta so Atlanta's up three to one playing tonight. But either way, 
it won't be an 8.30 game Sunday night. So you got that going for you. Well, I was going to ask you now, with they're going to a West Coast team, how many 8.30 games are we going to get? Because before, it was a Central Time Zone team with Memphis. See what I'm saying? Ooh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I can see uh, a game in L.A. hitting that 8.30 window. This year, there have been a few 8 o'clock windows, so that's better. just a half an hour. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Since yeah. we have to get up in the morning, but I was thinking that we'd probably have to go later. Could which happen, we, which we've avoided so far. That's the best thing about playing Memphis is it was Central Time Zone. You don't want to be starting stuff in Memphis at nine thirty. So yeah, come on, Dallas Central Time Zone team, right? Beat that Pacific Time Zone team. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. We stopped rooting for teams. Well, I thought about it. Drop, drop the nicknames. It's all about when the time I saw zone. that. That that's you're, they you're right. Play. You're right. They don't want to start a game at 9.30 Central Time. Right. They, they don't want to do that. Yeah. That, shades, of, shades of Big Monday back in the day. Yeah, that makes a huge difference for us. We'll take it. Yeah, for sure. But first things first, Jazz have to win game five. And I would think having been in the 3-1 situation before and that was different, now you've got the other team has to travel and you're at home with your crowd and the crowds are getting bigger and the team went through it last year and this Jazz team is better than that Jazz team and I think that Nugget team is better than this Grizzly team. So for a lot of reasons, I just I know some people are obsessing about that, but I just for a lot of reasons I don't think that's happening. I think the Jazz close it out right here. I'm not obsessing at all. I'm sure you're not. And that has nothing to do with my indifference to <laughs> Even if you could overcome your indifference to everything in general. <laughs> it's more looking at the situation rather than, okay, right. I'm not a guy who gets caught up in winning and losing. But aside from that, right. even if I did, I'd still Well, you have agree no with everything I, I just said, right? Yes. Memphis has got to travel. The Jazz have their fans. The Jazz are better. And this well, Grizzly team isn't as good as that Nugget team. That I the number one thing. This jazz team is better travel, than the, blah blah blah. This jazz team is better than that jazz team. It's way better. Yep. And the number two thing is this grizzly team isn't as good as that Nuggets team. A uh, fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. I. That's the most important thing. I've been saying it for over a week. Even when they were down 0-1, this team is better. You just look at the roster. It's better. I don't think either either one of us has ever shrugged off a loss as easily as we shrugged off that game one loss. Especially without Mitchell. Right. Yeah. And go bear fouling out and I fully expected missing them to a gazillion be, I didn't threes. think they'd sweep. I gave Memphis enough respect. That after the game one, then I thought Memphis and, it would go six. I, at no point did I think the Jazz were going to go into Memphis and, and win both those games. At no point? I really Well, Zero at no point. point. Come okay. on. I did after, before they went to Memphis, at no point did I think that. For a faithful man, you lack faith. A- after I saw them win game three, brother, then I did think they were going to win game four. After I watched the way they won game oh, three. Oh, so you're one of these guys who has faith as long as you see it. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely weaker on the lower end. Yeah, bad seats weighing back. Yeah. Absolutely. See, I don't need to see something to believe it. That's why you got the good seats in your front? Oh, I don't need no seats. I'm standing in the back. Standing in the corners. All right, other things we have discussed today. In addition to the uh, NBA playoffs, there's the NBA news. Danny Ainge stepping down in Boston. The Celtic baton will be passed to Brad Stevens, who will move into the front office. And he will hire a new coach. 
And what will happen with Danny Ainge? And the national NBA people are already alive with the, he's going to find a role with the Jazz. Well, I just looked at the Boston Globe, and it says he's going to stay on for a bit to help the transition with Stevens. Mm-hmm. Which probably means if Ainge wants back in somewhere till August or July, which isn't that far away considering we're already in June. Uh, but when you say if Ainge wants back in, you mean back into the NBA? Yes. Yeah, and I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, he's and, thinking and, he wants to go to Maui and play Kapalua again. Well, he can do that anytime. Just I just on, wanted you to tell that story. Go on a scouting trip. <laughs> Yeah, he got free golf, and I had to pay. <laughs> a Who needed the free golf a little more? Me. <laughs> Who's on a little tighter budget? <laughs> yeah, BYU was in their uh, was in the Maui Invitational, and I had been there a few times covering the Utes, and um, usually you get they'd be at least some island rate or something. And I checked with BYU and said, no, they've already used up their allotments. And then I go out there and I see Ainge playing. And he said, yeah, he, he used it. He's a big golfer. Uh, one time, I don't think that was the time, but one time I brought my parents. They came over. Mm-hmm. and Oh, it's we're covering Utah because Majerus, the guy traveled right in front of him, and Majerus just tried to hold it in, but he couldn't help it. And he slams down a water cooler or something, and the water splattered on my father. <laughs> oh, really? I think a lot of people remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can see him right there. Uh, he, I, my, I got a ticket for my father to come. Yeah, he lost it there once, and he lost it at Madison Square Garden once. He was usually pretty composed on the sidelines, but there well, yeah, a couple the guy, times. Like, the guy took like nine steps right in front of his face. And they didn't call it. Travel! No, no. Come on. I would have gone nuts, too. And so he turned around and... I got to find that video then and find your dad. Slammed it, yeah. So I had my parents, and this is one hotel room, my parents, my wife, and two kids. All in one hotel room. Uh, my parents slept in the bed. My my kids were very little. My wife and little kids slept on the fold-out, and I slept on the couch. And we had the window open because it was right by the water. And with that sound of that ocean, I slept like a baby every night. But I remember we first get in the room, and it has a little open deck area. My mother lights up. I said, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, There's no smoking in here. He said, "Oh, I'll be. I'll just. I'm. I'm. I'll be right here. You, no one. No one will see me." I said, "Yeah, but everyone will smell it, and they don't realize <laughs> how much you can smell it." So uh, they were still. They both uh, had health issues in their seventies, and were told to quit. And I have a picture of them at my mother's prom, high mm-hmm. school. Both of them with cigarettes. So they had smoked for like sixty years, and then they both had health issues, and the uh, both of them quit on the spot. In fact, the next time I went with BYU, mm-hmm. that time with BYU with the, the Ainge and the golf, on Thanksgiving Day, back home in Arizona, my father had a heart attack that very day and had to have triple bypass. And he quit immediately, and they gave him an exercise program and a rehab deal, and he followed it stringently and lived another quality 10 years. Nice. Yeah. I just thought that is amazing how – because I, I don't have any nicotine addiction, so I can't relate. But they say it's hard to do. But yet when they were both faced with life or death, they, they quit. Did yeah. Not everybody can. Good that they could. Yeah. Other sports news today, in addition to uh, Danny Ainge news, 
the SEC, it just matters more. That might be why they pay their coaches more. Saban, $9.1 million. Orgeron, $8.7. And now, Dan Mullen, a three-year extension. He'll make $7.6 million per annum. And, and Utah plays Florida next season? Got a home-and-home with them. Going to play them back-to-back years. Yeah, and you look at what Mullen has accomplished and you look at what Kyle has accomplished. I think they're ballparked, wouldn't you say? Yeah, people are going to assign degree of difficulty to going to uh, Mississippi State and the SEC. Yeah, see, that's what drives me nuts, though. I know it does. Because the Pac-12... It's not just you. I think it's what drives everyone on this side of the country nuts. These teams can... They can beat you. They've got pro guys. Their teams may not mm-hmm. be good. Uh, but the the conference is far more balanced. I mean, the, we think of the SEC as one through whatever... And it's not that. It's one through five. Very, very top-heavy. It's very top-heavy. It's one through five. And I think that one thing that really drove that home, you just saw an SEC quarterback who started three years in the SEC in South Carolina, and he transfers to Utah. Wasn't that so overblown? And how'd that go? 33 starts in the SEC. And if you break his record out versus ranked teams and versus unranked teams, it's night and day. He did really, really, he did pretty well against the unranked teams in the SEC. And he's like one and eight against ranked teams in the SEC because there's a level. And it's a big jump to get to that level with those top four or five programs. Some of it, we've seen Auburn, LSU, and Florida fall off that top level and then hop back up there. Um, LSU has been a little better, maybe, but Alabama's been there consistently. Alabama and Auburn. LSU, Georgia, and Florida. I don't think Georgia hasn't fallen off the map here. The other three have oh, all no, had no, no. the no. other three have all had down years, you know. But they can snap back. They can have a three or four win season and follow it up with a nine win season. So by comparison, comparison, saying twenty nineteen, Clay Helton was the highest reported salary had their highest reported salary. Pac twelve football coaches, and it was four point eight yeah. million. And it's not just the head coach. It's all the, the coaching pools that go with that, which means the best coordinators and the best recruiters, they're going to consistently pay more. And they won't get them all, but they'll get a lot of them in the SEC. In 2018, David Shaw made 4.8 himself, but they don't know if he got a raise because Stanford and SC are private institutions. Mm-hmm. And Dan Mullen averaged between seven and eight wins a year. It basically was eight and five was his average Mississippi State season. He did have a 10 and two nine-win seasons in there, but he averaged about eight wins per year there. So he's making almost double what Kyle makes. And he had a losing record in conference games. But it's the SEC, and he's in Florida, so there you go. He gets his $7.6 million. So, what is that, three years and $23 million essentially? All right, DJ and PK, those are some of the headlines from today, some of the stuff we've been talking about. We also talked about Fernando Tatis Jr. experiencing tightness in his midsection. So he was removed from a game, precautionary. You haven't had tightness in your midsection in how many years? 25. Yeah, there it is. All the sit-ups and still no tightness in your midsection. No, it's going the other way. A lot of flabbiness, though. Sweet. When we come back, all the things you've had to say about today's show next. Stay with us.
And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I have to believe that it will only take once losing in a 3-1 setting to have it never happen again. They have to come into this game five, bringing it back to Vivid Arena, and in their mind they're thinking, not going to let this happen. Not a chance. We will fight until we have no fight left in us because we want to end it now. You don't let this go to six. You don't let this go back to Memphis for a sixth game. This has been such a point of emphasis for this team for so long, ever since Game 7 against Denver, that this will not happen again. I think this team is insanely focused going into that game. I would be shocked if on Thursday we hop on the air and we're talking about not a lot of life there, not a lot of energy. I don't know what was going on with that team, but now they've got to go back to Memphis. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Oh, I get it. Ryan Smith wants the world to know that that is not who jazz fans are. Yet behind the scenes, it's still okay for Dwayne Wade to make millions of dollars on Chinese slave labor. I don't care what PK says. Sean Bradley was in the original Space Jam, the real Space Jam, not this hoopla they're putting out today. Yes, with Danny Ainge. I know he just bought a new primary residence in the Provo area. That would lead me to believe that he is done. Thank you, Ja, for the show. But the Utah Jazz have got to go. There's the open mic. You grab the, your phone, you use our app, you use the open mic feature, you send us a takes, and there you are. What, but I never criticized Sean Bradley for being in Space Jam. If someone offered you a movie role, are you turning it down? I said he wasn't top five player from Utah to play in the pros. Not an outrageous take, by the way. When you look at all the people who have gone through Utah colleges and their NBA careers. I put Hanel Medela above him. That would be an outrageous take. <laughs> <laughs> you clearly have screwed up at that point. Travis Hansen, Britton Johnson. Uh, you can't put Britton above him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Mark Madsen kind of counts. <laughs> he went to Stanford. He doesn't count. He'd come back here in the summers. It doesn't matter. I said he kind of counts. He didn't go to one of the schools here. Played a pickup game in the summer. Stanford is like uh, BYU uh, West. Uh, BYU Palo Alto. This <laughs> <laughs> is to follow with the theme. Got you. Yeah, good. Jock's not even listening to the show. He would have reacted if he was. I mean, well, David Shaw likes to think that they're oh, BYU. Yeah, yeah, Provo or Valo out there. I need a tight all end. The, I need a wide receiver. Kids if you got recruits. a D lineman or a linebacker, I'll take him. You got a safety? Bring him on down. That guy. If you're LDS and not thinking on a mission, don't go to Stanford. Shaw wants you to go. He literally, does. he does. He literally wants you to go. He'll encourage it. Yeah. yeah. The mailman at Nico Candu says, yeah, well, the Jazz will be a team on a mission. They're going to pounce tonight from the get-go. Going to jump on them early. Oh, the old jump on them early. Jump on them early. Take away their life. Put them away so they quit. I just don't see that happening. Mr. Monster 913 says 30-point win. 30 points? I mean, they haven't won by 30. Yet. 
the, the game two. Uh, Mailman followed up by saying, uh, I would say uh, less than 15. Yeah, who really cares? Uh, 10 to 15 is plenty. Just get the win, don't get hurt, and uh, just start scouting uh, the Clippers and Mavs. And then when that thing's over, go for it. Probably going to be the Clippers. Get get ready for that one. That's going to be a whale of a series. I'm super excited about that one. Devin tweets at us, Portland management is a joke. I've been saying it for the years. The Blazers have built an all-star G League team around Dame. Dame, 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 Dame. Yeah, it's not easy, though, to be building teams and all that, especially when you got a decent team and you're not getting high picks. And you're capped out. Yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, you look at the moves. Getting Nurkic seemed like a good move. Uh, McCollum was a steal when they drafted him somewhere around 10. It's hard, man. They're a good team, but how do you get better? Uh, The news that Danny Ainge uh, is expected to step down as president of basketball operations for the Celtics is going to turn things over to the coach. He's going to hire a new coach. Brad Stevens will take over the front office on a full-time role. And Tyler tweets in, Danny did more for the Jazz by trading for Hayward than we'll ever know. He didn't trade for him. He didn't trade for him, but I get your point. (laughs) Aside from that detail. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but you look at that one. uh, He was an all-star in the West. Uh, They didn't know that Tatum and Brown were going to develop the way they did and all that stuff. Uh, That's the thing about it, man. What seems like a good move didn't turn out, and what seems like a devastating move from the other perspective didn't turn out either. You never know for sure. It's all probability. Try to tip the odds in your favor. Because a guy can go up go up to the hoop, come down, land wrong, and be out for a year and really wreck half the contract. And then, too, you have to look at you know who's being coached by whom and what system – because that matters it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see when Quinn Snyder gets to the 10 to the 15-year mark, assuming he does. Well, we will look back on some players and say just exactly like we did with Jerry Sloan. Well, his best years were with uh, the Jazz. And that spanned generations with Jerry Sloan. We can go way back and we can go Darren Williams. Where did the player have his best years? Right here with that coach. Shannon Anderson, best years. Isley, I mean, on and on, on. On on down the line. Yeah. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next with more on Game 5 tonight. Stay with us.